Welcome to the next episode of Can Marketing Save the Planet podcast. Today, Gemma and I are joined by Adam Bastock from Small 99. Adam, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. So, Adam, let's start. Let's kick off by telling us and introducing a little bit about you and what is Small 99? Yes, it makes sense to start with my background. So I've worked for the past kind of eight, 10 years-ish with small business owners, but in digital marketing. So giving advice on kind of Google and SEO and all of that kind of fairly normal, broad digital marketing advice. About two, three years ago, really started to look into the net zero sustainability space and realized that there was a real gap there where I was seeing similar patterns to SEO, where there's these big conferences, there's a lot of information out there, a lot of technical jargon and information that just wasn't really being translated in a very effective way. And that really made me realize that most of the advice is either quite expensive and it was, it was kind of behind consultants, or as I say, it was generic or it was written for people who had teams and for large organizations. I was like, okay, that's not going to help us actually achieve these net zero goals or, or make actually any practical, any practical action on it. And that's when I realized that net zero was really a marketing problem more than a technological problem or a finance problem. And it was more of that, yeah, that comms and, and communication gap. So that's where Small Nice Nine came from, is it was a, a brand to kind of pull together the past eight years of everything I'd learned into one vehicle um, to kind of be grand about it. But to, to put all of those ideas in action of how do we get small business owners and how do we communicate to them in a way that take, gets them taking action on net zero or sustainability potentially without them even realizing it and really giving that very clear practical advice. And rather than talking about, well, you should be measuring it or you should be doing this and that, it's more about, okay, what do you do today? What do you need to do tomorrow? What do you do in six months time? Let's get started and start taking action on this rather than it being this slightly broader advice guidance piece. I'm not sure if that's answered the question. I've gone off one, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, that, that's, that's amazing. I, I mean, it is, it is where do you get started? And I think the whole demystifying what is net zero? What is climate change? What is greenhouse gas? What is where do you where are your carbon impacts? And I think that is something that we absolutely have to get people over the line on to go. I can actually tackle this. You don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be a consultant. You don't need to be a scientist. So, what, what's your advice around? I guess if you were speaking to someone to say, well, where where do you actually just go? I'm going to do it. I'm going to start. I think it's a real big question, and this is the kind of the golden question that we're trying to answer. And I think there's, there's two caveats to it. One, I think it really does depend on the business, depending on where you actually practically take the first step. So what I tend to advise people is really a change in, not necessarily mindset, but just the way you're making decisions. So currently, the way you make decisions is typically with, with cash, is that if something is expensive, you might not buy it, and you'll buy something else instead. And that's how you tend to factor into decision-making. The most powerful thing I think you can do is start bringing in sustainability or or kind of carbon emissions into that decision making. And that's everything from, do you need to buy more pens this month? If yes, where are you going to get them from? What does that look like? Who are you buying them from? Where is it? Through to, and I think obviously COVID has unfortunately accelerated this to a certain extent around travel, where do you need to drive to that meeting? Sometimes, yes, you do need to drive or fly to a, a meeting where maybe you're on site in a factory and therefore you can't really avoid that. But a lot of the time, smaller interactions such as this, this podcast recording can be done virtually perfectly fine and we don't need to travel to a destination. Um, 35% of the UK's emissions are in, in transport and therefore that's a huge kind of segment of your business you can start reducing down quite quickly. So that is very hard to give broad advice because mm-hmm. the one I, I often see is around renewable energy and that's that's 
it's good. And if you're not on renewable energy and you can change it, obviously do it. However, at the minute, we're seeing that a lot of people can't change renewable energy because of the energy crisis. And secondly, that's assuming that you know, they're in control of their energy supply in the first place. Quite often, the um, landlord will be in control of that and therefore it's not within your control and therefore advice on it is, is sort of wasted. Whereas changing your behaviours to reduce down the energy you actually use in the first place, the things you're buying, the way you talk to customers, the things you, the way you, who you're buying from, that is all stuff you can control and you are currently controlling on a day-to-day basis, but you're using cash as the only metric here, whereas you need to bring in cash and carbon as the, as the two to, to make those decisions. And in your experience, Adam, because I mean, net zero, we make this assumption that businesses know what that means, yeah. you know, so it's almost taking a step back, isn't it, about, well, these are some of the things you can be doing, but 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 there is a lot of confusion. I know when I've been working with organisations, uh, training some organisations, it really does start with that, what is net zero? What does this mean for my business? Do you find that there is confusion about what net zero actually means? Yes, and I think it, it gets kind of the worst, more progress it makes almost, because during COP26, the Science-Based Targets Initiative organisation released an update to net zero. So even the webinars I was doing six months ago were suddenly out of date again. So it is a constantly changing uh, target to a certain extent. I think the main confusion comes between net zero, carbon neutral, and kind of there's two or three others that are similar ballpark to that, which get used and thrown around quite similarly. Um, Zero carbon, sorry, that's the other key one. So zero carbon being there are no emissions generated at all from um, during the production. Carbon neutral, meaning that you have offset the amount of carbon uh, kind of totally. And then net zero is that ideally you've demonstrated a reduction of 90% across all greenhouse gases, not just carbon, and have then offset the remaining. So net zero is a real difficult one to get to. And the easiest way I've, I've kind of found of explaining it to people is it's basically a break-even point. It's like if you're spending £100 a month and only um, making £100 a month, that is effectively net zero. You know, at the end of the month, you only have £0. It's the same with with, with your total greenhouse gas emissions, sorry, not just just your carbon. carbon. Yes. So it takes into account methane, nitrous oxide and and all of that stuff, which you don't really need to worry about, I wouldn't say, as a business owner. That tends to be bundled up in the science and the measurement tools that you might be using. But it's um, it's like you say that there is there is a lot that people can be doing. I guess understanding that everything has a carbon footprint as, as a start point, and that you know it's about balance because you know we hear a lot of people either say you, you know don't fly, you should never fly again. And, but on reflection, you no, know, you should we should all limit and then take some sort of perspective and balance in what we do. And if we, as you say, if we don't need to drive somewhere, if we don't need to fly somewhere, and we can do it virtually, we should do it virtually. But then there's things around, you know, the, the amount of I've been just re- researching stuff around our digital footprint and carbon. And, and there's a there's a web carbon uh, website, Carbon Calculator. There's a lot of websites there that essentially are way in the red. And there are they recommend things you can do. The amount of emails you send, you know, consolidating communications, getting your preference center up to date. So I think there are lots of things that people can start doing that are small, can't they? That will become the sum of a bigger understanding absolutely and i think the key the, this is where the car, the idea of a carbon budget really comes into play quite easily in terms of that website and what, what slice of that carbon budget pie it's taking up because fundamentally if you went into a business and said you are financially unsustainable that business would then react quite uh, dramatically to that and put into place quite a few things quite quickly in order to become sustainable financially 
and we're getting to a point where sustainability is not is not only financial; it is also environmental, and you have to take into account all these other factors. And you wouldn't run a company without without any sort of budget at all, and just spend money because it's not unlimited. Carbon is not unlimited, and therefore we can't use it in the same way. And therefore, a carbon budget is a great way to quite quickly visualise a pie chart, or at least for me, it's like a big circle. And then, if you do need to fly, okay, fine, you need to fly, and that's going to take up a certain amount of your budget. And you're going to need to find savings elsewhere in your business in order to, to justify and to allow that that flight to take place. That might be things like changing your uh, vehicles to electric, where that's going to, if that's quite a big portion of your, if you're doing a lot of travel, sorry, domestically in a petrol car. That might be, or it might not. And it might actually be that, yes, your digital footprint is a major part of your footprint and you need to reduce that down. I think, especially for smaller businesses who are, so thinking my, my freelancer days with an SEO hat on, I wasn't traveling. I, wasn't, I didn't have any premises. I wasn't really consuming anything. And therefore, the impact I could have was through mostly my personal life, really, because the, the, the line blends quite a lot. So it's diet, personal travel, and, and things like that. And again, it's not about... Stopping anything is about reducing it down and managing it within that budget. So it's not going, okay, you need to go from eating meat seven times a week to full vegan because that's just that's not practical. It's not going to happen. It's about managing that that process and going. Well, actually, if I you know have this is probably a bit too technical in kind of scientific of the way of doing it, but you know if I only have meat three times a week, that that gives me enough budget to do something else elsewhere. It's not about doing that exactly, but it's more changing your mindset to be considerate of where the emissions are coming from and, and, and where that's sitting within your business and just ensuring really you're being conscious of the, the carbon spend that you're having. And I think, yeah, if, if you're a smaller business, it's quite difficult to get to terms with that. And it is more about the impact you can have through your business rather than just on it. I mean, there are five, I think it's estimated about 5.5 million small businesses uh, in the UK, just in the UK. Um, that's a lot of, of impact if small businesses actually do start considering their role, taking responsibility, making some of these changes. That cumulative effect is significant. Are you seeing that there's appetite from small businesses to get involved or is it still kind of seen as something that they're not responsible for because or they're not as responsible because they are that individual SEO person at home with a very small footprint. So why should they start? You know, it, it's not really, you know, what is that? Because, I mean, small business is the definition of small business is almost flawed, isn't it? Because, you know, you yeah. could be a individual a micro business um, or you can have 200 employees and you're still crossed as a, a small business. It's so yeah, it is frustrating. It's always been a frustration, but it's the reality of, of how it's how it's all thrown together into the pot. So where are you seeing the appetite in the people that you're working with? Are you seeing those individuals becoming more responsible? Are you seeing those larger, smaller businesses um, wanting to get involved? And what kind of things are they are they kind of starting to do? So I think I, I would say it's kind of both, really. That there's, a, there's, a, there's a small cohort of people who are very, very enthusiastic, very sustainability focused, and are really trying to do the most they can and have the biggest impact they can. And they're the ones that are getting frustrated by the existing guidance lacking. The second half, I think, and I wouldn't say it's even half, I'd say it's probably the remaining 80% of businesses are in the category of, it's not my problem, I'm only a small business. There's as much larger companies that are there to, to kind of, they're the problem, not me. And there's that redirection of responsibility, which 
I really empathize with and I do think they do have a point and there is an element of policy here that needs to be put in place as well. However, you can't, this is about doing everything we can and doing both and it's not acceptable to say that it's someone else's problem. And and just to throw some stats behind that, so 96% of companies in the UK are, are, are defined as small, so that's up to 250 employees. I think of that, 74% 74% are solo founders, so people, solo directors. So 74, I'm not sure the numbers exactly, but it's about four and a half million if it's if it's 75%, I think. Yeah. So, you know, if you think of all those people, that's a, that's a big chunk of that economy that is money moving around. Small businesses are about 50% of UK domestic emissions, I think it was, for the energy usage. So again, that's another huge, huge wedge. And that's before we even get into this more complex, fun area of scope three emissions in supply chains where you mm-hmm. go, well, okay, so you look at Tesco's, um, who recently have done quite a big announcement around tackling their supply chain emissions. And who's, you know, if you're a bakery that's baking bread for Tesco's and sending it in and say, well, we're only a small business, it doesn't matter about us. Tesco's, you know, it you're does. Co- yeah, because you're, yeah. you're, you're fundamentally contributing to Tesco's the large company's carbon footprint, and they are going to start coming coming for you to an extent and asking what you're doing about this. That's a matter of when, not if, and, and the when is in about two years' time based on Tesco's own communication. So there is, there's a two-sided coin here. Yes, we need stronger policy. Yes, we bigger companies do need to be doing more. No getting away from that. Small businesses also need to be doing a lot more. And I think in terms of that, where do you start with that? I think there's two. The easiest place I'll probably start is open your accounts package, look at how much you spent on oil and gas or not oil and gas, but you know, gas and electricity in, in, in the last month. How much did you drive in the past few months? What are your vehicle miles? Start documenting that because that's information that you've got. And with some very rough back of the envelope maths, you can get a fairly accurate idea of your carbon footprint from that. So that when Tesco does come knocking at your door and say, well, where's your carbon footprint? And you go, oh, I have no, I have no idea. <laughs> you at least have some figures to go back to them. Um, the scope three element for small businesses is incredibly complex and difficult and probably mm. not something to get into just 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 on this because it's a, a whole thing on its own. But you're never you're gonna have limited impact there, and that's gonna be an ongoing, much slower burn. But in terms of your direct emissions, which are your your vehicle emissions and your energy and gas emissions on site, those are things that we can start reducing down fairly, fairly rapidly in theory. So that's that's the best place I would say start is just using your existing data that you're already tracking, extract that and start looking at it. And then from that, that will then you'll start pulling the thread, and then that will unravel the rest of it. So we we talk about you know the fact that well everybody knows that there's an environmental crisis, everybody knows that we need to aim for a more sustainable future. Yet the communications piece is not getting not getting the reach and the understanding that we need. If, if you know if you think oh well my emissions aren't that bad or they're not my problem, you know I'm only a bakery. Tesco's can do everything. They can almost offset my emissions by making their changes. What what can we do? What do you think the role of marketing is um, and communications around getting people to, first of all, take that step and responsibility to look into this? Because there are there are there are pockets and in, in, of information and websites and resources and everything. And you know, you've got you give advice. Michelle and I do the podcast, we have the learning zone. We're all putting stuff out there uh, for people to actually take take the time to read and go, right, I've got enough that I can start looking into this. How can we get people to listen? I think stop talking about the environment. Stop talking about emissions. Um, people don't really care about carbon emissions. It's too intangible. 
it's it's something they don't base their decisions right now on. That's going to have to take a lot of time and a lot of government policy to a certain extent to bring those that, that kind of information into into the, the mass, the, the, the 90 or the 80% of people who aren't thinking about this. The problem I see, and this is sort of why I started Small 99 as well, and we've not perfected this by any means, but especially in marketing, is people, there's a great study I saw recently that was, you know, people tick a box on a survey to say that they're, they're going to buy sustainability, sustainably when it comes to the actual doing it on the shelf. They're not going to do it because mm-hmm. they've got the other things that they make the decision in, in that moment are going to be status, money, like how, you know, how expensive is it? Does it make them feel better? And all those things. We need to start working with those metrics that people are making decisions now um, to, to, to kind of get change going. And that is... It sounds bad, but I think the kind of the ends do justify the means a little bit with this, where I don't care how people are making decisions as long as they're making the right ones in terms of that environmental thing. And as long as we can close that gap and make those dots do it. And the problem I see here is I'm going to take an example of like a, a, a local council where they might introduce a cycle lane and say that it's, it's helping them reduce their emissions and the, and the carbon footprint. That local community will push back against that because that's not what they care about. They don't care about the emissions. They care about getting to work on time. So the, the council needs to change their marketing to actually say, we're putting the cycle lane in to, to reduce the amount of traffic so that you can get to work quicker. And, and the idea is that they say you as the broadest thing, because pe- everyone in that community then imagines themselves getting to work quicker because it's other people on the roads that are stopping them getting to work quicker. It's not the cyclists that are in the way, it's the other cars. So we need to work within people's existing frameworks of what they, that they care about and their decision-making and stop talking about emissions so much because... It's not, I wouldn't say it's that people don't care about emissions. That's too dismissive. It's going to be their top three, but it's probably going to be three on that that they're ticking. And they don't really know what they mean by it. And they're not going to make a decision on it. So let's move away from that and start introducing the other metrics that they actually care about and and stop selling this as a loss and start selling it more as, as a gain. Yeah. And I think, I think, Adam, in a, in a previous conversation we had, you referred to a report that Futura had done yes. about selling the sizzle. That's and uh, yeah, and I read that. And, and I mean, we've, in marketing, you know, we've, it's kind of what we've been conditioned to do. Look at the, the benefits, you know, let's not talk about the features and the practicalities. Let's really look at the benefits and let's meet our audiences where they are at and, and enable us to really talk to what matters to them and you're absolutely right the the emissions aspect it's almost and even the carbon crisis and the climate crisis it's it's too ephemeral isn't it it's not it's not day-to-day right now in our every in the majority of our everyday lives for some people very close to the front lines of climate crisis and this is where we have climate inequality and climate injustice you know it, it is it is a reality. And when we see these documentaries and, and snippets of insight into those worlds, it's it's shocking. But we we then go about our everyday lives. You know, exactly. it's, we're not living those realities. And so you're right. As marketers, that's something that we really have to think about. How can we reframe this? How can we position the challenge to sell the gains? Absolutely. But also give insights into the reality of if we don't don't do something those hellish conditions are a reality too well i think this is a this is where the, exactly what you say around that marketing knowledge is all there it's just being deployed in slightly the wrong way yet it's not quite connected the gears up to, to, to start making that change positively um 
and there's two things here. One is the kind of carbon offsetting side, but also the a lot of the, the, the news I'm seeing is fear-driven, but fear isn't really a yeah. motivator. Fear, fear paralyzes people and they don't take action unless there's, unless there's in a very short window of action and we're not in the position yeah. yet where it's short the window. The emissions we create today are going to have an impact in 50 years and that fundamentally is very bad for the way that humans make decisions because we don't make decisions over 50-year time periods. Yeah. We do it in six months or you know hours, days. People know that drinking's bad for them, but every Friday night I will still have a bottle of wine because, yeah. it's, you know, because it makes me feel good and I have a fun time with friends. That's very difficult to change, and, and that's a good, you know, we don't want to get away from that. So, as you say, it's about working with how people are currently making decisions and meeting them at those points, and that's going to be different for different communities and different yep. demographics, just as it has been for the past century, a few centuries of marketing, really. And just a second point I want to touch upon is a bit of a bugbear of mine. I've seen a lot of companies that are now starting to do tree planting as a way to take climate action but while never actually addressing or demonstrating action of what the, that company or brand is doing to reduce their impact. And I see this in, in various different forms from the kind of just slightly mis, miscommunicated to the out, outright just abusive almost yeah. of, of, of how they're using that. And I think that's the second thing of marketers is, is, not to, is to move far beyond tree planting. Tree planting is great, we should be doing it, but what I'm seeing at the minute is people say they're tree planting and then stopping there. There's never the, the, the follow-up piece of, Actually, we're still selling you plastic products that are made of oil that's being shipped by oil that's being that's generating a load of emissions, and we're not addressing that at all. That's the elephant in the room. We don't want to touch. We're just going to say that we plant trees for every order, and even then, like one, and it's like and it, okay. And it takes eighty years for that tree to become an effective carbon sink, anyway. So precisely, it's it's just it's just too disconnected. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's not to say carbon offsetting very good. Using it to to yeah. you know keep the status quo very very bad. So yeah, th- there's it, a good. It shouldn't be the first thing you do. No. Or, and this is the real challenge because I sort of, even then I'm a bit like, well, it should be, if it's the first thing you do, that's also okay. As long as you do the rest of it. It's not yeah. so much that it should be the first thing. It's that it shouldn't be the only thing you do. Yeah. Um, and that's a real difficult message to get across that I'm still not sure I've, I'm happy with how I kind of communicate that. We need the reduction demonstration now as well. There's yeah. a report, I can't remember who it was from, but it was saying that, if we, for the current emissions that we're generating year on year, there's not enough space on the planet for us to plant enough trees to offset all of that. So it's just, it's not, it's not practical. I think there's a big role for marketing, you know, internally within their organisation. I know a lot of small organisations don't, don't necessarily have marketing people. Sometimes the person that owns that company is responsible for the marketing and the sales and the operations and, and everything goes with it. But around those organisations that have got people, uh, you know, marketing teams or a marketing person, the marketing person needs to be able to ask the questions as to why we're doing this. So let me understand if I'm going to be talking about carbon offsetting, if I'm going to be talking about reducing our emissions, I need to understand what I'm saying because, you know, if you, the minute you get asked a question on it, if you can't answer it, then you're going to just, you know, end up in a whole heap of issues in your communication. But internally, I think there's a big role for marketing to play to explain what the organisation is doing internally to get all of those employees together to mm. drive the same, you know, in the same direction so that there is consistency, there is collaboration. Progression is a lot faster if, if a lot of people get together to do it. So I keep, I keep talking about the importance of internal communications as much as your ESG, your CSR, and telling the world on your website what you're doing. Exactly. I think it is, you need every... And to use a perhaps bad analogy here, it's kind of every cog in that machine to, to kind of to move it quicker, but cog in a very positive way. Because this is how yeah. I see the scope three thing is all these 
different companies connected together. And as soon as they stop moving in the, the, the wrong direction and start moving in the right direction and every cog is in the same direction, as you say, everything accelerates far much more yeah. quickly. And it is the, I think this is com- on the communication piece. I think it's really important that businesses communicate what they can't do and what they're not doing as much as it is what they are doing. And I think Hagloff do this really well, um, which is a Swedish outdoors brand where I went onto the website and that homepage said, we're carbon neutral, but we cheated to get there. And then it has a list of all the things that they can't control that they're working on as to why they're not doing, they're not particularly a sustainable company at the minute. And I was like, that is what we need. It's the transparency, yeah. it's the honesty. Because I, I immediately, I, I, you know, one, I'm mentioning them now. Two, I've bought a coat and a pair of shoes from them. I immediately <laughs> trust them and love them because I'm like, well, I, you know, that's that's who I want to align with and, and yeah. work with far more than a company that just has a policy and that says how many trees are planted. Like, yeah. It needs to go far beyond that. Do you think there's a role for, for so Tesco's come out with their big announcement of what they're going to do to address the supply chain, uh, the emissions issues in their supply chain. Do you think there's a role for them, given that they've got the, the, the money and, and the, the resource and the people to almost become the, a consultative type um, arm to this, to work with, the, obviously they're going to work with their suppliers on doing this, but those bakeries, as we've used as an example, to actually try and get them to understand and you know and almost be the the umbrella to all of this in driving driving that information in you know the correct information in the right way so that again we're all pulling together it's almost like that internal communication through your supply chain it's an interesting question i hadn't thought about that before i'm kind of tempted to say not not really i mean there's there's some examples of hubs like this so i think it was actually marks and spencers have got it a system. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it might have been yeah. you guys that put me onto it, but it was like a sustainability hub, which I think is really interesting. But again, it goes back to, I don't think we've got a an education gap. I think we've got a communication gap where there is so much education out there already that I could spend all day reading about this and, and we know the solutions. It's about deploying it at scale. That's, yeah. that's, what, that's where we're coming from. And that's where communication has to play the role. And Tesco's isn't a communication agency. And going back to the, 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 the cash as carbon analogy. Yeah. Tesco's aren't the, the world's leading accountancy firm because they're very good with money and that's how they've grown their business, but they're going to be working with other specialists in that area. And therefore, there's a role for them to play in giving them the, their, their supply chain the tools with which to make these decisions. And them sharing that is very positive, but I don't think they should necessarily become the industry guiding light for that because, to be honest with you, Tesco's might not be doing it very well. And there's going yeah. to be certain areas they fall down and if you read Ethical Consumer Magazine, they, they are still quite bad on that front. Maybe in five years' time, that'll be very different. But I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. That's a, no. a good one. But. I, th- I think there are. I mean, there are a few case studies, aren't there, of uh, Unilever? You know, they work mm. with their partners all around the world, and they will educate them about how to improve sustainable practice. But also working with NGOs and local communities to learn from those communities as well as to how to improve their own activities and actions as well. So I think there's that shared learning opportunity, but who, where the policy sits and who's right and how that's wrong, you know, like you say, that that could get into difficult territory. Um, but I think organisations, that layer of responsibility should extend beyond their own employee, across the whole stakeholder chain, really, um, including including their suppliers. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, What about when we talk about regulation then, um, the regulation that is currently there for business, 
possibly doesn't track back as as simply for a smaller organization. Um, they're often outside of many of the well, they are outside of the the FTSE and the Forty One, mm-hmm. you know, and, and listed and 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 have those constraints and restrictions and regulations around what they're doing. But of course, they are an enormous part of the challenge that you know like we've said just in the UK there's five you know they're 96% of the of the businesses so so where do you think regulation is going to land with regards to smaller businesses so that's a very good question this is like the Pandora's box of of policy uh, and future stuff um I don't know where's it going to land I think there are, there's what I would like, where, where I'd like it to land. I could answer that very easily. Yeah. Um, where I think it's going to land is, is probably a difficult question. I'm, I'm positive about the green claims code that's come yeah. recently. That's very yeah. good. And I think the reason why Tesco's are doing this work is because of the, the TCFD, the Task Force for Climate Related Financial Disclosures. Very, very sexy title. Um, so I think that, that those are both very positive stakeholder engagement elements that are, that are genuinely having a very positive reward impact and pressuring that side of things. That's not going to directly affect small businesses in any time soon, I don't think, no. beyond not in terms of that policy being applied to them. It is in terms of ripple effects. I believe the TCFD has a requirement for businesses to start reporting, even smaller businesses. I say smaller, I'm not sure what the cutoff point is. Um, reporting their energy and, um, and gas and potentially mileage, but I think it might just be their energy usage because at the minute the data sat in this silo of accountants and stuff, it's not actually in the government database anywhere. So that, that's kind of one area where it's going to start coming, where it's going to be very basic things like, come on, guys, can you just share this information? That's a positive step. So in theory, the, what I would like to see it as being is that HMRC will say, well, every time you do a tax return, we also yeah. want your yeah. scope one and two emissions, which is you know your, your mileage, your, your, your electricity, and your gas. There's data that's there already. It doesn't have to be accurate. They're not enforcing it. They're just requesting it. Voluntary disclosure. That very quickly builds up a picture and that makes scope three emissions suddenly a lot easier to measure because I then know that coming onto this podcast, I know what your guys' emissions are, you know what my emissions are. Yeah. Therefore, we can great we can get an idea of it. And that will then just develop over time. And that's what I'd like to happen. Second is you know carbon pricing. I think that's something that will come into play in the next decade. Hopefully, if it doesn't, we are sort of screwed. Um, and I think that's where the that's where it will start hitting smaller businesses. And we're starting mm. to see that already with the plastic packaging tax. Yeah. So that came into, is it coming in this year or was it last year? I can't remember exactly, but I think it's coming in this year where it's going up to £200 per tonne of virgin material for plastic. And that should in theory start reducing plastic packaging down because it becomes more expensive and also drive up recycling of plastics. Um, And things like the deposit return scheme as well, which should be coming in Scotland, where suddenly these hedges full of empty beer cans are worth five quid per hedge because each, each can has got a value of 10 pence or whatever it is. That's where I see it hitting in these kind of small fragmented ways. I don't think, I can't see of any joined up policy thinking coming at the minute. Even with net zero, I've not seen anything that's particularly, from a government point of view, being led in terms of a disclosure agreement or in terms of a a kind of a conversion point in my mind of when you go from, well, I wasn't net zero and now I am. So I, I think the policy is my biggest fear in that there's a lot of great stuff going on in small businesses that are driving this themselves. I'm not seeing the pressure come from um, kind of on high. Yeah. No. As yet. 
Okay, so we have talked a lot about net zero. We've talked a lot about what it is, what people can be doing, the challenges, um, the lack of policy, what may come into the future, what is already starting to uh, have a a ripple effect, uh, and who knows where that will lead. But um, the role of marketing, do you, we always ask our guests three questions to kind of wrap up and we've talked a little bit about marketing and comms what's your view when we ask the question can marketing save the planet adam this is i think it definitely it kind of has to i think it is because marketing has fundamentally done so much damage over the past however many decades in this especially if you look at the car industry and, and you know that role in in driving oil and gas consumption therefore we have to harness that use that that framework that is already in play and reverse it. And I think marketing is a really strong position here. And there's a huge opportunity here around communicating very successfully the actions that businesses are taking. So I see a lot more green hushing of businesses just not saying what they're doing yeah. than I do greenwashing. I think greenwashing is at a corporate level, very big, very bad. But small business level, I don't think they're greenwashing. I just think they're sat there terrified and aren't saying anything. So that's where marketing can really help extract the stories from these small businesses transform them into very positive stories that then businesses, uh, sorry, that consumers can buy into. And I think it's also in a broader sense about taking the, the, the marketing uh, skills, frameworks, whatever you want to call them, and applying it to the climate change crisis at a bigger level. So like I was saying earlier with local councils and selling cycle lanes to, to people, it's yeah. not about the emissions. It's about the, the lifestyle benefits that you gain from that, because that will then in turn have a snowball effect and start really pressuring all those, those other gears in the system to start coming together. Yeah, we're starting to see it. It's just not happening quickly enough. But I think if every marketer in the UK or you know on the, on the in the world suddenly started changing the way they were communicating these things and focused on the, the benefits of greens of the kind of the green policies and the the benefits to, to individuals, we would see a far quicker uh, change. I think the problem at the minute I'm seeing is people are trying to shortcut it. And this is also a problem with marketing is when you try yeah. and short, do a shortcut of go, oh, we're, you know, we're green, because it's a recycled material. And then the green claims code comes along and says, well, you're not actually, you're just trying to shortcut that, that message. And then, you know, puts a, slaps the wrist or whatever. So I think really it is, you've got to be genuine. It's got to be the benefits and not the features and then yeah. but do it for everything. Yeah. It's got to be sustainable marketing, not that shortcut marketing. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Adam, what do you hope business looks like in 10 years' time? So it's not going to be any surprises if I say the words carbon tax, I don't think, in terms of, I think, carbon or carbon pricing. I think carbon pricing has to come into businesses, whether that's voluntarily. So some companies are already doing it voluntarily, but ideally from government. And that links back to the HMRC comments around scope one and two. I think that's really a... Without that, I think it's going to be very difficult for businesses to start making decisions because 10 years is not that long. You know, we are closer to 2050 than we are to 1990, which is a terrifying um, sentence. Um, But I think it's we need to work within the current decision-making frameworks that we have, and that's going to need businesses to start working with cash equivalated into into carbon, or sorry, vice versa, where, you know, carbon emissions are directly attached to financial spend. We're getting there. I think there's a lot of carbon um, accounting tools out there that do do this very successfully. But we need that at a a much bigger level and it needs to be in boardrooms. It needs to be in every decision that you're making. And I mean every decision from, you know, it's not just about do you fly to 
to India for you know a site visit, it's the pens you're buying, it's the paper you're buying, it's the gas yeah. you're using, it's it's the micro activities, those micro moments to use Google's terminology in terms of that needs to have some sort of carbon pricing factored into it. Yeah, fantastic. And so from a very practical perspective, what yeah. is the advice that you would give to those starting out? If they are listening to this podcast and thinking, you know what, I've really got to get my sustainable house in order, my mm-hmm. business in order, what would you say? I mean, I think we've given enough for the sustainable marketers tuning in or the marketers tuning in to say, you know, you know what you need to do. Look at your frameworks, overlay those uh, a different lens and uh, and it can't be shortcuts. It's got to be sustainable. So there's a, there's a lot there. But for businesses, what is it that they... What is the advice that you would give? There's a few pieces here that I'm going to dive into. I think the first is is reduce, don't replace. The most common thing I see is people trying to buy sustainable alternatives for the existing consumption habits, and that's not okay, essentially. Um, so reducing down your total consumption overall, do you need to include those delivery slips and packaging? Do you need to have bags at the local shop, or can you actually have a, a bring-your-own-bag policy? Everyone's got bags anyway, it's fine. Do you need to... You know, do you need to be printing out all those invoices you're doing a month? Now, these these aren't going to be huge parts of your carbon footprint, but it's about the mindset shifters again yeah. of just looking at everything you're doing and reducing it down slightly. That's going to save you money. It's going to mean that you're, it's just less stressful in terms of having to order more stuff, and you're going to have more profit over the long term for it. That's a, that's a great place to start. I think. Secondly, I think if you do have an accounts software package, open it, sort your suppliers by top to bottom in terms of spend. Email the top two, three, one. And just say, what's your sustainability policy? Doesn't have to be more than that. Just do that. That's going to come back. Scope for emissions are probably going to be 90% or more of your emissions. And therefore, yep. you're going to need to start tackling that. What they come back with will tell them if you want to keep them as a supplier of the next 12 months, 18 months. Um, and if, if they come back and say, what do you mean? Which is what I've had quite a few times. Start looking at alternatives. Um, and, and you know they're ones that are going to be losing out over the next five years, not you. And then I think the third one, I don't know how many to give here because I'll probably just go off on a rant for, for hours on this. But <laughs> I think the third one would be that also while you're in your account software, look at your scope one and two emissions. So look at how much you're spending yeah. on energy bills, which I think at the minute, obviously, when we're recording this, the energy crisis is in its full swing and people are very aware of that. But also look at your vehicle mileage and start um, kind of looking at how, many, how much you're driving. Because if you're driving a petrol car, that is probably going to be a fairly big part of your emissions. And it's not about getting an electric vehicle. It's about reducing down the amount of driving, maybe getting an electric bike or something instead where you're going to be able to be fitter, healthier and just have a much nicer commute to work um, accordingly. And you've got loads of resources, haven't you, over on Small 99 for people to tap into. So if they, you've got kind of planning tools and practical yeah. things that people can be using. Do you want to just give us a little bit of an insight as to what's there? Yes, it's a good, good point. Um, so we're, we're really trying to solve that problem of where do you start? So we're building out, ideally, different pathways for different industries so that you get a list of actions and ideas for you just to get stuck into and, and really start understanding what your next step is. Or ignore everything else, just your next step. That's in development. It's going to be launching in the next couple of weeks or months or so. So for now, there's two things. We've got the community, uh, which is £10 a month. So you can come into the community and just get advice, ask me questions, get connected with partners and really get this kind of, basically this kind of podcast format of just... Um, just get ideas of, of what yep. your next step should be. And then if you're just completely lost for ideas of where to start, our free net zero tool is a good idea. So um, if you go to small99.co.uk forward slash measure, then that will be a set of 20 or 30 questions where you just get 
really quick ideas and you get a rough score of your net zero, your net zero score essentially, with some ideas on how to uh, get started as, as free follow-up emails after that. Fantastic. Over the market. Yeah, fantastic. Brilliant. Great. Brilliant. So loads of great insights there. Thank you so much, Adam, for joining us. I'll be staying tuned into all the conversations that we're tagged into and look forward to learning more about what's coming up with Small 99. Brilliant. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, guys. 